I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I've been teaching on the kingdom of God is the church. I've also been teaching how that Babylon is going to be destroyed, which is in opposition to the kingdom of God, that it's going to be destroyed by fire, by fire, not only will it be destroyed by fire, but it always plunges. Babylon plunges into the sea at its destruction. Now, the sea has, it's a very interesting thing about the sea. The sea, usually, the Jews said, was the the Mediterranean Sea, which was the entire structure or geographic placement of the world, it was on the sea. This was all that there was to the civilized world. Remember the Huns and the Vandals and the Goths and the Visigoths came from the Far East, so the Middle East is what we think of, Middle East and what later on became Europe. That was all ruled by Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. And that's what we're talking about. I have been showing you how that that Babylon always has to plunge into the sea and is connected with the fire that she's destroyed by. Uh, God said over here in Jeremiah 50, I'll just kind of give you this real quick like, I haven't finished this by any means. And I found out something new, it's new to me, uh, due to one of the questions that I've been asked about Isaiah the 30th chapter. I'll kind of put that up here too. Isaiah 30. And I'm talking about the fire or the sea or Babylon being destroyed. Now, you have to understand something. Babylon was on the Euphrates River. Assyria was up here in the Caucasus Mountains. But it was also considered a part of the Babylonian system, the Babylonian Empire. So Babylon overthrows Syria. Assyria, not Syria. This is Syria down here. This down here is Syria. And we're talking about Assyria. That's an empire. And Assyria had a capital city that was on the Tigris River and was called Nineveh. That's exactly why Jonah was told to go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh and preach to Nineveh repentance. And they repented and he got mad because God didn't kill them all. And he sat down under a gourd and vine and it grew over him to give him some shade. And God killed the gourd vine. But anyway, I wanna, I'm going to read something to you. Because I've said this so many times. I've said the world is insane. And when I say this, I don't mean the raving maniacs running out here in the street screaming and yelling. I believe the preachers are insane. 
I believe that politicians are insane. I believe the business people are insane. In fact, insanity has to do with demons. So you'd have to put demons in the middle of this. you got to put insane and demons in the middle of all this. And let me read the definition of sane and insane to you. Insane means to be deranged. Now, I pulled all of this out of Webster's. Insane means to be deranged. So it tells you deranged. It goes back to the original words. And deranged means to have a mental illness. Mental illness. Do I believe the preachers are mentally ill? Yes, I do. Mental illness. And it goes on, means to upset the arrangement or order, or it means to be disorderly. Now, God speaks of men who walk disorderly. We are to withdraw from them. That's why we withdraw from these other preachers. It means to make insane, senseless, impractical. I like this definition, unsoundness. Of mind. Paul used the word sound often when he would say, he said, he speak of sound mind, sound is the word hugiano, H-U-G-I-A-I-N-O. Hugiano is the word sound. When Paul Paul speaks of sound doctrine, it means uncorrupt words. Let me move this over here. It means uncorrupt words. Sound is the word hugiano. Uncorrupt words. Uncorrupt words. In fact, hugiano is the same word that Paul used in 3 John 2, where, where he tells... Hi, Gaius, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospers. The word prosper is the word euhodos. I'll get it in a minute. Euhodos. And health is that word hugiano. It means uncorrupt words. So, it's talking about a well way. You hodos means well way. That's the word prosper, and that's the narrow way. And it's and narrow is the word thelibo, and it comes from thelipsis, which is the word tribulation. So God is saying, I wish that you have a tribulation way, because we must have much tribulation enter the kingdom of God, and that you will have sound, sound doctrine, uncorrupt words. So, so we're talking about unsound. It means if the preachers are insane, they're using corrupt words, and that's exactly what they're doing. You tell the charismatics will say, they'll say, well, that word prosper means money. God wants everybody to have money. That's the stupidest thing I ever heard. And he wants everybody to have, to be super healthy, uh, Prosper and be in health. 
That word health is hugiano. That has nothing to do with good health. Nothing. It has to do with uncorrupt words. So prosper me in health means... I want you to have a well way. It's full of tribulation. Jesus said he was the way. He was the tribulation. And we must do much tribulation into the kingdom of God. That's the well way. And have sound doctrine. Well, the preachers don't even believe in predestination. They're insane. If you read the Bible, say, I believe the Bible, and you say, well, the Bible says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. And they'll say, well, I don't think that's what that means. Well, what does it mean, knucklehead? That's exactly what it means. And they'll say they don't believe it. Let me give you some more. It means unsoundness of mind, great folly or foolishness. That's what insanity means. The Baptists are insane. They got Christmas. They've got Easter. Christmas is Christ's message from Catholicism. It was against the law to celebrate Christmas 300 years ago. Baptists, whether you like that or not. And I ain't even got time to go into all that. Let me just give you all these. It means, insane means, it takes you from one word to the other in a Webster's. It means lunacy, moonstruck, psychosis, mental disorder, unsettled disorder, crazy, unsound, eccentric, unbalanced, irrational. Are the preachers irrational when they will not tell the truth and they read the Bible and say it doesn't mean that? When the Bible, when Jesus said, if the world hate me, it'll hate you, is God telling the truth when he says you have to be hated? Yes, he is. I never heard a preacher even define a word reproach. Blessed are you when men shall reproach you. O-N-A-I-D-I-Z-O. O-N-E-I-D-I-Z-O. And it means you're blessed when you are infamous. See, everybody wants to be famous. You've got to be famous to own a big company because you've got to have pictures all over the town in the newspapers and in the, in the phone book and saying, I'm the greatest at repairing this or that that you ever heard of. Well, they have to be famous and they can't be real honest. So preachers are crazy. My father was a preacher and he was insane. Now that will offend my family. Daddy didn't know what he was talking about. I've got brother and sister left, Janice and Dean. Dean's crazy. He's really crazy. My little brother called me one time and he said, uh, he said, we're worldwide and you meet in the garage. That was when he was meeting in my basement over there. Well, now, Dean, we're worldwide on the Internet and all over the United States. Does that mean you meet in the basement now? <laughs> He's crazy. He even told me one time when he called me in the hospital, he said, you know more about the Bible than anybody, any man I've ever seen, but let me tell you how you need to use it. Dean, I think the Bible tells me how to use it, using great plainness of speech, offending the world. It makes the world angry. 
I'm just going to read through this and I'm going to get on with this message. Unsoundness, lacking the power of reason. They can't reason. If you tell a Baptist that predestination is true and the Bible says we've obtained an inheritance being predestinated, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children, you have to be adopted into the family of God. You can't just get yourself in and there's no such thing as accept Christ as your personal Savior and a sinner's prayer for salvation. The Bible says there's not. And you can't understand that? You're crazy, preachers. The Bible says, for you bunch of Baptists out there, they took a vote in the Southern Baptist Convention here a few years ago to see if they could come up with the answer whether. I've got it from the Internet. They needed the answer whether you could accept Christ or not, whether the sinner's prayer was true or not, because that's the message of all the Baptists in America. Let me tell you Baptists something. Let me give it to you. If you can't understand this, you're insane. You're crazy. The Bible says the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, that foolishness to him. Now, you Baptist preachers, would, would you like for me to define those words? What they're going to do is show you what you've been preaching is a lie and that you're crazy. The natural, P-S-U-C-H-I-K-O-S. That's the word natural. It's the word sukikos. It means the man of the senses. The man that can see Hear, taste, touch, smell. This physical man, this is our word physical. Our word physical comes from this. The natural man does not receive deck, go, my. Now this is going to upset you because you guys, I've heard all of you preach, accept Christ as your personal Savior. That's the very last thing my Baptist preacher father said to me before he died. said it to me on the phone. He was a little gruff. He said, Jimmy, all that matters is a man accepts Christ as his personal Savior, and that's all that matters. If that's all that matters, let's print some Bibles with one page, with a, with a bookmarker right in the middle of the one page, and everything before and after is white pages, and just say, accept Christ as your personal Savior. He said that statement to me. Decomai comes from the word deck. A decade is ten years. Ten years. Decalogue, D-E-C, D-E-C-L-O-G-U-E, comes from deck. And Logos, it means ten words of God, the ten commandments. Dekomai means to reach out the ten fingers and accept an offer that's been given. Hey, preachers, are you just crazy, too lazy, or you don't want to? I know what the problem is. You've preached this for years, and if you change this to what the Bible says, you're going to lose your job. You don't have to get you a job down here selling furniture or get you an insurance debit route. You're not going to like that, are you? You will have to have a small church. You can't have a mega church preaching all these things. Well, Dekomai means to 
means to accept spiritual things. Dead men cannot accept Christ. The Bible says so, you guys. I'm just going to call you guys because that's all you are. Have no respect for a man that does not care about the definition of words. And you will say, well, all you got to do is say a sinner's prayer. Every Baptist I ever, I've heard a lot of Baptists. I traveled in Baptist churches all over America preaching. I never would give an invitation to him. I wouldn't tell people to come and accept Christ. I was compromising too much. I didn't want to make them mad. I was trying to build some kind of circuit for myself. And I was young, 26, 28. I was kind of ignorant back then. And I just, I'm just tired of you. I'm tired of the Baptists. I know them. I was ordained in the Southern Baptist Convention Church. My father was an independent Baptist preacher. I know all about you guys. You can't fool me. You can fool other people, not me. Now, everybody wants to say sinner's prayer. Sinner's prayer. And every every Baptist I ever knew went to Romans ten thirteen. They think that that's proof that the sinner's prayer saves people. Ten thirteen. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's true. But that's not the method of salvation. You guys never have quoted the next verse in conjunction with verse thirteen. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? 1014. You have to believe before you can call. Will you call? Yes. After you believe. But God has to put faith in your heart. Believe and faith are the same word. Faith. P-I-S-T-I-S. Believe is the word P-I-S-T-E-U-O. This is the, believe is the verb, faith is the noun form. So you have to have faith, you have to believe before you can call. Will you accept the things of God after He births you by His will? You will accept everything Jesus said and you'll try to be doing it. He that doeth truth cometh to the light. And the man, the blind man that was healed in John 9, the Pharisees, this happened on the Sabbath day, and it was against the Pharisees' laws to do anything on the Sabbath, to heal on the Sabbath. And they went to the man's mother and said, father and said, Who healed your son? They said, Well, you ask him, he's grown, he'll tell you. They asked him, and he said, That man there healed me. And they said, he's a sinner. He healed on the Sabbath. And the man said, we know that God heareth not sinners. If any man be, be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. You can't pray until you believe. In Acts, the 16th chapter, this is where Paul was put in jail at Philippi. And the Philippian jailer come up to him that night and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul didn't say, Would you like to pray this sinner's prayer? And many with all your heart. 
Would you like to accept Christ as your personal Savior? He didn't say that. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the thing about believe. There's none that seeketh after God. There's none good, not one. How are you going to get in? God has to pick you out before the foundation of the world and put faith in the hearts of all those that belong to Him by putting them through fire and trials and persecution. And that's the truth. And you preachers are crazy. You know that? I'm looking at the camera. You're insane. Because you read these verses and you ignore them. And you don't even go... Every Baptist preacher in America knows what a Strong's Exhaustive Concordance is. Did you know that? All of them. And they don't care. They don't even stop and look at the words that what they're saying. Well, that's enough about insanity. It means <clears throat> illogical. The inability to think rational. They're, they're irrational. Anybody that's irrational, they're just as crazy as some of these people out here at Central State. They're crazy. And you know why a lot of them do that? They've got these wolves in their church that pay the building payments and pay the salaries of all the secretaries and they can't afford to tell the truth. They'll lose everything. I know why they do it. I am sick of all of them. Sane means having normal, healthy mind, making sound, rational judgments. That's all I'm doing. I'm making sound judgments, not diseased, but healthy. It means to reason, the ability to think sound mind, sanity, reason, and not perverse or deviating from what is considered right, wrong, or corrupt, or obstinate. You won't deviate from the truth. That's what's wrong with the preachers in America. There's not many people that tell the truth in America. Not many. Now, that goes along with what I'm talking about. It takes sound understanding to understand that Babylon has to be destroyed and all the doctrine that preachers are insane preaching, they're Babylonian teachers. That's what you can call them. Revelation 17 and 5 tells you who they are. Revelation 17 and 5 says that Babylon was the mother of of all harlots. Harlot doesn't mean a woman that sells her body. It just means idolatry. And these preachers that won't find out what these words mean, they are involved in this idolatry, this harlotry. They're sleeping with the harlot of Babylon. Boy, that's an awful hard word, isn't it? Is that what you preachers want to do? You want God to judge you for that? Well, Babylon was founded. Idolatry, idololatria. 
I wonder if God is going to cause one of these famous preachers to call me and say, I saw you on the internet and God's dealing with my heart. I don't have any use for any of them. I mean, just I hear the both mush coming out of their mouth. You need to get a book, Billy Graham and His Friends. Hey, that is an indictment against the man. He says homosexuals are going to heaven. He put his approval on the World Council of Churches and they don't even believe in the virgin birth of Christ. He put his approval on all of these heathens. He's, he says Mother Teresa was a wonderful lady even though she believes in eating the human flesh of Christ. and it, It's just the most insane book I've ever read about a preacher. It's called Billy Graham and His Friends. You can get that from Jack Chick Publications in Ontario, California. And they'll send it right to your door. He's, he didn't even believe that. He didn't even know if he was going to heaven or he didn't even believe at it. He was in an interview with Diane Sawyer. She said, what do you want God to say when you come up to judgment? He said, I want him to say, well done and good and faithful servant. But I don't know that he's going to do that. That was his words. I heard him say that to Diane Sawyer. Idolatria. This is what's wrong with the preachers in America. Ido means to see or perceive, and latrua means to serve. It means to serve what you put into your eyes and ears. It means to serve. What you see, when those preachers see a big car, a big parking lot full of cars, they do not want to say these truths that Christmas is pagan, Easter is pagan, God does not love everybody. They don't want to say that. They're going to run off the majority of the people, even the ones that are believers are few in there. They're confused and they don't know what to do. Now, Babylon was founded on let us make us this is the doctrine of Babylon a name did Billy Graham have a big name in the world the word is Shem what they said Shem was the second born of Noah he's the one that received the blessing from God's second born just like many of the other second borns the oldest was Japheth And God did not bless Japheth. And the youngest was Ham. Cursed be Ham and his, cursed be Canaan, the sons of Ham. And they'll be the servants of Shem. And Japheth will dwell in the tents of Shem. One man could inherit everything among the Jews. And when he inherited everything, he's supposed to take care of the rest of the family. He had the inheritance. Well, they said, we don't like Shem ruling us in Babylon. This is Babylon's doctrine. So what we're going to do is make up our own Shem, our own authority. The word Shem is the word name in the Old Testament. It's also the word name Name in the New Testament is the word onoma, O-N-O-M-A. And they both mean authority. That's what they mean. They said, let us make up our new authority. In all of the pagan religions, they all have the father of the gods. They have the mother of the gods. That's where Mother's Day comes from. 
everything we're celebrating in the form of holidays is pagan. Everything. Christmas, Easter. It's all heathenism. Jesus will not. I've got a t-shirt that says, Jesus will destroy Christmas when he comes back. People won't understand that when they read that. Now, Babylon is going to have to be destroyed. These preachers have made themselves up a new doctrine that is in opposition to the very book they hold and called precious. But it's not precious to them. It's so precious to me, I'm willing to define the words and tell you what they mean. And you can get mad if you want to. Now, I've said up here, God will destroy Babylon by fire when he delivers up the kingdom of God, which is the church. And that's when Babylon is destroyed, it always goes down into the sea. Now, I've given you, these are just some of the verses where Babylon is destroyed. Babylon destroyed. I'll bring out this one last, Isaiah 30. Destroyed. In Isaiah 13, you see Babylon being destroyed. You can turn to that if you'd like. And we'll look at some of these. Isaiah 13. Isaiah shows Babylon being destroyed in several chapters. In order to find out what these things mean, you've got to find out where they are coming down. And in Isaiah 13, if you'll notice this, in Isaiah 13 it talks about the Medes coming in. Now, Mede, when it says the Medes attack Babylon in 13th chapter, you've got to remember that Persia was a dual empire. It was Persia that attacked Babylon. Persia was a Mede-Persian empire. Now, the Medes, Persia was over here, what we call, we called Pakistan or, or Iran or Afghanistan. That was all the, that was all Persia. Babylon was what we call Iraq on this Euphrates and Tigris River. Now, when you get to this 13th chapter, let me see if I can cover it in fewer words. You see here that the Chaldeans, Chaldee was another term for Babylon. The Chaldeans were being attacked by the Persians. And when the Persians started attacking, This is what is happening when they come in to attack Babylon. When the Persians attack Babylon, let me remind you. Let me erase this title up here. I'm going to leave these other. I've got to keep reminding you. When Persia, when what we would call Iran or Pakistan, all the Persia was a large area. And they kind of ruled the world, ruled all the civilized world when they took over. And they overthrew Babylon, which was ruling the civilized world at that time. But you have to remember that Persia, Persia was, it was all of these, what we would call Iranian people. And they were 
called maids, and it was Cyrus. When Cyrus wanted to attack Babylon, if this is the Mediterranean Sea, and this is Israel, and this is Lebanon, or Tyre and Sidon, or an ancient word was Phoenicia, and over here is here is Syria, Syria, and here's Babylon over here. You got the two rivers coming down. And that's the Euphrates, the Tigris and the Euphrates. On the Tigris River was Nineveh. On the Euphrates was that huge city, Babylon, straddling the river. And Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrians, which was more or less northern Babylon. And, and the, and Babylon was the capital city of the Babylonian Empire. Babylon, or Babylonia. B-Y-L-O-N-I-A. The whole empire was called Babylonia. And they were, and Babylon had these huge walls. It was a, they straddled the, the Euphrates River. And the walls were about 375 to 80 feet high. Where do you get that? You can look up Babylon in your McLennan Strong, and it'll tell you the dimensions of Babylon. It was a city that was 14 miles on every side, but it had the river running through it, and the Euphrates River at times was a mile, two miles wide. I don't know if it was that wide. I'd like to know how wide it was during that time period because they had a seven-tier bridge that went from one side to the other so you could communicate from one side to the other. They said, we're not conquerable. We cannot be conquered. When they said we can't be conquered because we're so huge and the river runs through us and around us and those riverbeds that ran around them and ran through them were like 350, 60 feet deep. So they looked, they looked unconquerable. And Cyrus knew that, and so what he did, you'll get this out of Herodotus, Herodotus is called the father of history, he's got two volumes. I've got two older volumes, but I think they reprint them all, and they've got it. They've got this event in Herodotus, and it repeats exactly what you find over in Isaiah 44 and 45. He he repeats, and he says that Cyrus, the king of Persia, which is Iran, Pakistan, Afghanistan, so forth. He came over here and he said, you say you can't be conquered? He went here above above Babylon on the Euphrates, built some kind of dam, and it diverted the river out here into the Arabian Desert. You can put all the water you want to in the Arabian Desert. You can put a whole ocean out there and it'll soak it up. And so they just diverted out there. The riverbed dried up. You're going to find that in Isaiah 44, 45. And you're going to find it in the book of Herodotus exactly the way Isaiah says it. It's amazing. I need to bring some copies of that or maybe just...
print that page that shows that and give it out to everybody. And he come up here and dried it up. And when he dried it up, I didn't put Daniel. Daniel 5. That's where he dries up the Euphrates. And he marches down, comes into where there's a two-leaved gates. That's what's amazing. Mr. Rodotus tells us there's two-leaved gates, big leaves like this, that go down to the river so women can go down there and wash their clothes or whatever they want to do. And those gates were left open in Daniel, the fifth chapter. And, And when... When Cyrus and his armies go marching down that riverbed, they come up there and they say, Belshazzar, your days are numbered. They're over with. And he was killed that night. And he was one of the most sleazy kings that was ever on the face of the earth. Just an evil, wicked man. So he came down and conquered them. And Herodotus will tell you all about that. Now, I don't know why preachers don't want to study the origins of things, study the history of things. There are several books on Persian history. I've got them in my library at home. And you can look these things up if you if you want to, if you have the hunger to. Now, so we're talking about Babylon going down. It'll tell you all about this in this 13th chapter. Now, this is God causing Cyrus to do this, but he didn't convert all of Cyrus's soldiers and turn them into good Christian uh, plunderers, uh, Christian whatever soldiers. He didn't turn them into that. And he will, it'll show you this is God causing Cyrus to do this. And then he says in verse 15, Every one that is found shall be thrust through with a spear or with a dart is what they called it. And every one that is joined unto them shall fall by the sword. Anyone that's joined with Babylon. Their children shall be dashed to pieces before their eyes. And God says, I'm doing this. Their houses shall be spoiled and their wives ravished. The word ravished, shagal, means raped. You say, God wouldn't do that. Tell him that he wouldn't do that. He says, I will do it. Behold, I will stir up the Medes and the Persians. You say Medes, it meant Persians. Against them which shall not regard silver, and as for gold, they shall not delight in it. What he's saying, you can't buy your way out of this Babylon. There ain't no amount of money, no amount of, of taxes will get you out of it. Their bows also shall dash the young men to pieces, and they shall have no pity on the fruit of the womb. The pregnant women, the children that are unborn, there will be no pity. And their eyes shall not spare children. The little kids will die. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees, excellency, shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And he says, it shall not be inhabited. I read you a verse. Last time I preached out of Jeremiah, the 51st chapter, had it never be inhabited. Neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. Neither shall the Arabian pitch tent there. Neither shall the shepherds make their fold there. Babylon is over. Now, it's, I said it last time I preached. When Saddam Hussein said he's going to rebuild Babylon, the Euphrates River, what he's saying is, I'm going to go against God. So God had Saddam Hussein killed to retain his book. Now, when you look at the 14th chapter, that's about Belshazzar, the last king. And it's talking about, in verse 4 of chapter 14, Thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon. It's against the Babylonian system, which was the mother of harlots, which started the Babylonian sun and tree worship, which was a repetition of garden of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. That's where the Christmas tree comes from. How hath the oppressor ceased? The gold city, golden city is ceased. So 13 and 14 to go together. This is the destruction of Babylon and the end of Belshazzar. <clears throat> the Lord hath broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers. He hath smote the people in wrath with a continual stroke. It sounds like he had a continual stroke from that previous chapter when all the poor and the babies were killed and the women with children were ripped up. And he that ruled the nations in anger, that's Belshazzar. This is a proverb against the king of Babylon. The king at the destruction of Babylon was Belshazzar. <coughs> in anger and is persecuted and none hindereth. <coughs> the whole earth is at rest. And it's quiet. They break forth into singing. Yea, the fir trees rejoice at thee. What does he mean by that? The fir trees were the trees, the green trees, that will not rot, that the Bible speaks of in Isaiah, the 40th chapter. That's where the Christmas tree comes from. And they worship these trees in the Scandinavian countries as gods because they could survive through that super cold weather there. And here in the 14th chapter, God smote the people in wrath with a continual stroke. He that ruled the nations in anger and is persecuted and unhindereth. <clears throat> the whole earth is at rest. They went forth singing. And the fir trees that they worshipped among Tyre and Sidon and in Babylon rejoice at thee because they're not going to be cut down and worshipped anymore. And the cedars of Lebanon saying, Lebanon is the same thing as Tyre and Sidon. <clears throat> Since thou art laid down, no feller, no, no, no wood, no man that goes out in the forest and cuts down trees, no lumberjack, is come up against us. This is like the trees are speaking. It's very figurative language. 
hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy at thy coming. Excuse me. <clears throat> it stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It hath raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. All they shall speak and say unto thee, Art thou also become weak, Belshazzar, king of Babylon? This is a proverb against the king, isn't it? <clears throat> That's what that fourth verse says. Thy pomp is brought down to the grave, the noise of thy vowels. The worm is spread under thee, and the worms covered thee. You are dead, Belshazzar. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? That's the only time Lucifer is in the Bible. There's nowhere else. They want to identify this with Satan. It is, in a sense, only that only that Belshazzar was the king of Babylon. He was propagating this sun and tree worship, which is satanic from the beginning. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. How thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, H-E-Y-L-E-L. I said it earlier, H-E-Y-L-E-L. It means to boast or shining. Nebuchadnezzar said he was the shining one that ruled all the earth. God said, no, you're not. From halal, we get the word halal which means to boast or shine, and Jah, hallelujah, means the shining and the boasting belongs to Jehovah, nobody else. <clears throat> How thou fallen from heaven, O Nebuchadnezzar, O Belshazzar, son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken all the nations, because you ruled everybody with an iron fist. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I'm going to be the great ruler of the world. That's what it was like. He was a wicked, evil man. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Every one of those Rulers in that day and time called themselves gods. I will sit up, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation and the sides of the north. I will send above the heights of the clouds. These are the words of Nebuchadnezzar. I'm, not, I'm getting the wrong man mixed up. Nebuchadnezzar was a good man. These are the words of Belshazzar. I will be like the most high, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, Belshazzar. To the signs of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man? Notice they call him the man, not the God. He called himself the God. Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake? 
kingdoms that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof and that opened not the house of his prisoners that's the Gentiles and sent them home it is his conqueror Cyrus that's going to open up the prison house Cyrus is the one that we say what do you mean prisoners we look at the 45th chapter Excuse me, 42nd chapter of Isaiah. 42nd chapter. Isaiah says it all in here. Verse 1, 42nd chapter. I'm not through with the other. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, and whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. Is that a different spirit than the Holy Spirit in the New Testament? No. I put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. That's Christ. It's, to, it's a. It's speaking of Christ that is to come. Then he says down here in, in uh, verse 6, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, will hold thine hand, and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles, He's saying the man that is going to release the Gentiles will be Cyrus. He'll be a picture of Christ. To open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, to them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. I could just stop here and take off on the spirits in prison, but I'm not. Now, I'm trying to show you these are the the destruction chapters. These are the destruction chapters. Isaiah 44 and 45. This is where the Bible tells us the same thing that Herodotus says. He says that, and what goes along with this is blocking up the Euphrates River. Cyrus is told, everybody in the world is told, you can't conquer Babylon. And he takes his armies, comes up here north of Babylon on the Euphrates River and diverts the river out into the desert. Herodotus Herodotus will tell you that's historical fact. And let's back up to chapter 44. He says here, thus, verse 24, Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. I frustrate the tokens of the liars and maketh diviners mad, crazy. I make them halal, where they want to lift themselves up that turneth wise men backward and maketh their knowledge foolishness, that confirmeth the word of his servant and performeth the counsel of his messengers that saith to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be inhabited, and to the cities of Judah. What's amazing here is this is in approximately 712 B.C. And he's saying Judah... Jerusalem will be inhabited. When this is written, it's about 712 B.C. Jerusalem is not destroyed till 586 B.C. 
a hundred and something years later. That's when Jerusalem is destroyed. So he, he's saying Jerusalem will be inhabited. You shall be built. I will raise up the decayed places thereof that saith to the deep, to the Euphrates, be dry. I will dry up the rivers that saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. What is a pagan king doing being the shepherd of God? That's just, that's amazing. Because when he overthrows Babylon, it is Cyrus that gives the first decree. It was many, many, this was about 539 B.C. This is when Babylon fell. This is when Belshazzar died. And it was in 538 B.C. That's when the first decree was given by Cyrus for the Jews to go back home and rebuild the temple or the house of God of God that had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar well over a hundred years before. That's why he's called God's shepherd. He even calls him in this context God's anointed. When we get over to Revelation, you're going to see Babylon being destroyed in Revelation 18. And then that first and second verses, it says, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That's because it fell once in the Old Testament when Cyrus came in in 539 and slaughtered Babylon and killed Belshazzar that night. And over here, Revelation 18, Babylon will fall as a spiritual system, as a evil spiritual city. And you're going to see over here, Babylon will sink. Babylon will sink into the sea. Sinking into the sea is something Babylon does when it's destroyed. Over here, you got the Euphrates dammed up over here. Euphrates is dammed up. Up. And you got the spiritual Euphrates being dammed up over here. Dammed up. You're going to have everything you got over here, you're going to have over here. And you're going to see the mountain. God says he's going to cause this mountain to burn. Well, let's read the rest of this. This is all one big, huge picture. It goes just like that. 
If you don't understand that the Old Testament is a shadow and the New Testament is the very image, the Bible is hard to understand. But every time you see something over here, when you get into Babylon sinking into the sea, he will say that in the 50th chapter. He said, you are a proud mountain. But when you say mountain, what are you saying? Capital city of an empire. Capital city. And you got another city that's the city of God is Zion. Zion means sunny. And it has the same meaning as Horizo. That's where the sun shines. Horizo is the word horizon. And predestinate is the word pro-horizo. It means to be for horizon or before determined for the sunny Zion. So you've got, you've got to keep all these things together. You've got a proud mountain over here. And God says in 51, I'm going to make you a burnt mountain. Burnt mountain. And when you get over here to Revelation, the 8th chapter, you see seven angels. Boy, all these are tied together. You see seven angels with seven trumpets. Seven angels. And the seven angels, angel, A-G-G-E-L-O-S, that's the word angel, it means messenger. The seven angels start sounding. When the, seven, when the second angel sounds, you see a mountain burning with fire. Mountain burning. It has to be the proud mountain they was talking about over here in Revelation or Jeremiah 50. It has to be the proud mountain who said, let us make us a name. I'm proud against the Lord. And it, when you get into the burnt mountain there in the 51st chapter, he repeats that over here in Revelation 8 when the second angel sounds. And there's a mountain burning with fire. It's not hard to put this together when you put the happenings over here with the happenings over here. Can you see how simple it is? It's it's not hard. Just look for something burning. It's and it's always cast into the sea. That's why I forgot to put Mark eleven up here. Mark eleven. Because that goes with these here. Mark Matthew 8 is about the man that's got the demon, but it's not a demon, it's nothing but self. And this, this is the same man in Mark 5. And there's two men here, but Jesus is only dealing with one of them. And when he deals with this this one man and he wants to keep his his imaginary demons around so he can talk to them and he wants to keep them in the swine and when Jesus says okay I'll put in you and he was amazing what was in the man was the same thing as in the Baptist preachers today I go out to Baptist because I was raised that way 
What was in the man, the Bible says, he was possessed with devils. I can't hardly just say one thing without going to these other things. Possessed with devils is the word D-A-I-M-O-N-I-Z-O-M-A-I. Demonizomai, when you look at the word, the P volume in Strong's, in the clinic in Strong, look up the P volume and look up possessed with devils. It's going to tell you it means to be insane. And the man was insane. Well, you would, if you read Mark 5, that's the same man. Well, he's running through the tomb screaming and cutting himself all over. Does that sound like a crazy man? Well, these Baptist preachers, they're crazy men, along with the charismatics. I usually go after the charismatics, but... The Baptists have come up with a wrong method of salvation, sinner's prayer, and accept Christ. You're crazy. Just like this just like this man. And when Jesus confronted the man, this is what'll happen to you, you bunch of Baptists. If God ever confronts one of you. They found the man clothed. Now, you got to remember, he was naked running through the tombs in Mark 5. Same man as Luke 8 and Matthew 8. Same man. Just different accounts of the man. He was naked running through the tombs, cutting himself. Does that sound like a crazy man? Some guy that's insane does to me. Lunatic. Huh? Lunatic. He was a lunatic is what he was. But when Jesus confronted him, and converted him. They found him clothed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning, being instructed, and the Bible says, in his right mind. The word right mind Shows you that he had been crazy. Right mind is the word sophronia. S O P H R O N E O. It means sane. He was possessed with devils at first. He was insane, and now he's sane. And the big question everybody wants to know: what what went into the swine? The exact same thing that makes a man insane. He was. He could not think rational. He wanted, I've said it so many times, what went into him was the desire. What went into the swine was the desire for self. What God is showing us is that Jesus would go completely against the laws of nature by putting the desire for self in some swine. He didn't want the swine to kill themselves. He wanted to keep them around so he could talk to them because they believed they were talking to the dead in the tombs all the time. And the most famous swine in the ancient world was Osiris, the great sun god of Egypt. They said when you died, he was called a swine. Swine is a male pig. 
and they said you went you and you died and you were an Egyptian and you went to the great boar in the sky you got to live with the great swine forever and we know that those were not Jews that had the swine it was an unclean animal and besides that if this man was insane he had a Babylonian attitude didn't he and what happened to the swine they run down into the sea and they drown there's things that are connected together insane the swine the sea and being crazy it's all a part of the same system Babylon was the mother of everything harlotry and that was the insanity and they had to go down into the sea and when the same thing happened in the 51st chapter of Jeremiah Jeremiah took the book of the Lord and he wrote these things down the book of the Lord and he gave it to a young prophet and said go to Babylon when you get to Babylon take the book take a rope or a cord tied around the book of the law and tie a rope on the tie a stone on the end of it and cast it into the Euphrates and say so shall Babylon sink it'll be a burning there's two things I really want you to remember it's burning it's a burning mountain and it is cast into the sea that's why if you see these things I left out Mark 11 verse 22 if, he says if you'll say to this mountain a mountain being a capital city of an empire you can get that out of McClinic and Strong just look up Mount M-O-U-N-T that's all you look up and they'll tell you a mountain was a capital city and a mountain was the same thing as horns or the same thing as heavens. The heavens ruled. If you look up heavens in the McClinican Strong, the first thing it will tell you is governing powers. So that made Israel the heavens when they were obedient to God. They governed everybody. So, so when you get to Mark eleven twenty two, if you'll say to this capital city, that's because Peter was arguing with Jesus about having killed a fruit tree when it was against the law in Deuteronomy, the 20th chapter, the last two verses, to kill a fig tree. And he had killed a fig tree. Unless the tree was, according to Deuteronomy, the 17th chapter, or Leviticus, the 17th chapter, excuse me, where you let the tree grow for three years, you pluck the buds off of it, it's dedicated to God, that makes it bloom more, and then it's committed to God the first three years, 
And the fourth year, all the fruit belongs to God. If it bears no fruit the fourth year, lay the axe to the root of the tree and cut it down. Well, Peter could only think of Deuteronomy where the Bible says you can't cut down trees that were good for food. That's all he could think of. He had forgotten evidently that Jesus was God. He knew how old the tree was. And the tree had leaves. Jesus saw it far off and had leaves. If you look up fruit trees in your McLennan Strong, fruit, just look up fruit. It'll tell you fruit trees. It'll tell you that the... You can get so much information out of those encyclopedias. It'll tell you that before the leaves came on the tree... It had pre-seasoned figs. So when Jesus saw the tree afar off having leaves, you're not going to have any idea what having leaves means, are you? You're not going to know unless you go into some source like the McClinican Strong or the Hastings and find out about fruit trees. It just... I don't know why... Why is it I'm the only guy that can buy the right books and look things up? I don't understand that, you guys. So when it had leaves and there was no fruit on it, well, if it comes to the fifth year not bearing fruit, you had to lay the axle through the tree and cut it down. They couldn't cut down any fruit trees and use the trees, if it was a big tree, and use it for a batting ram in a battle. God says you can't ever do that even for the enemy you can't cut down his fruit trees the fruit trees were the essence of life they said so so he tells Peter you got a Babylonian attitude you got to say unto this mountain Peter was correcting Jesus he said I-D-E-E day that is a word of shock it's like Jesus you killed a fruit tree that's against the law don't you know that and he said have faith in God I'm God I know how old the fig tree was you think he knew how old it was and that wasn't the only fig tree there this was Bethphage or Bethpage, the way we could say it. It means house of figs. There were a lot of fruit, fig trees there. He just killed that one to show them what they had to believe in him. He knew what he was doing. And that's when he says to Peter, you got to remove this mountain of self and and cast it into the sea. There's Babylon again. It was Babylonian attitude that was in Peter's heart. He said, you got to get rid of that and throw it into the sea with the rest of the Babylonian stuff. And every one of these are telling you something about these same things. you got one person in Luke 8, you got one person in Mark 5, got two in Matthew 8, but he only deals with the one in these other chapters. He's only dealing with one of them in Matthew 8 because he's dealing with one in Mark and Luke 1. I don't know what happened to the other guy. Now, I'm just trying to show you how all these things come together. Now, let's... Go back over here. Did I finish this up here? 
I didn't finish reading this. In verse 27 of chapter 44 of Isaiah, He saith to the deep, Be dry, and I will dry up the rivers. That saith of Cyrus, He's my shepherd, and shall perform my pleasure. What's God's pleasure He's going to perform? You can find Cyrus giving the first decree in Second Chronicles, the 36th chapter, right at the end of the chapter, Cyrus gives a decree to go for the Jews to go back. He's going to liberate them from captivity and tell them to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. That's what he's going to tell them. Is that liberating? Is that a shepherd in a sense? Is that anointed of God to, to have him do that? He moves upon Cyrus's mind and it's something he can't keep from doing. So he calls him... He's my shepherd and shall perform my pleasure by letting Israel go and giving a decree to that effect. And he does that in Second Corinthians, Second uh, Chronicles, not Corinthians, 36 and Ezra, the first chapter, the first few verses. Ezra comes right after Second Chronicles. It's supposed to. Then, let's read the rest of this. Thou shalt be built to the temple. Thy foundation shall be laid. He's talking about rebuilding the temple that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed. And then he says in verse 45, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus. He, uh, Cyrus was anointed because he's the one that gives the first decree for Israel to go back and rebuild their temple. And whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him, he's going to be the emperor of the world system in Persia, what we call Iran, Iraq, and not Iraq, Iran, Pakistan, and all the stands. And I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. That was because when. Cyrus came over, blocked the river up, marched into Babylon, those two-leaved gates. And Herodotus will tell you the same thing. The two-leaved gates were open. He comes in and says, Mr. Belshazzar, you're under arrest. Now, you men fall upon him and kill him. You get that in the fifth chapter of Daniel whose right hand I have holden to subdue nation. Where is that? I go. I will, the two-leaf gates, and the gates shall not be shut. I will go before thee. This is 45 and 2. I'll go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut asunder the bars of iron. I will give thee the treasures of darkness, hidden riches of secret places that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am the God of Israel. I call you, Cyrus, to do this. But I want you to notice what's about to be said. Everything about this is about that 13th chapter of Isaiah where he says the little children be killed, the Mothers will be, women will be raped. 
And he says, For Jacob, my servant's sake, Jacob is Israel, and Israel mine elect, I will even be called, I will even call, even call thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. I've called you my anointed. I've called you my shepherd because you're going to release Israel. I'm going to put it in your mind to do it. I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, Cyrus, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. I form light and create the darkness that you're going to bring over this land, Cyrus. You're going to kill all these people. I form light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, Lord, do all these things. This verse is talking about all this destruction of Babylon and all these people dying. That's what this verse is about. When you quote it to somebody, you really need to tell them all about Cyrus overcoming Babylon. You need to explain the 13th chapter of Isaiah, the 14th chapter, and these other chapters, the 15, 50, first chapter of of Jeremiah, everywhere, the fifth chapter of Daniel. You can't hardly say, I make peace and create evil, I the Lord do all these things, without explaining the destruction of Babylon. That's what it's about. It was pretty hard destruction, wasn't it? How much time do I have, Mike? Sixteen. I'm not going to get through all this. I make peace and create evil. Drop down, ye heavens, from above, and let the skies pour down righteousness after all this destruction. Let the earth open up and let them bring forth salvation. Let righteousness bring spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. And this is all going to bring about the goodness of Israel by releasing them from prison. He's going to release the prisoners from the prison house. Woe to them that striveth with his maker. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. A potsherd was a piece of pottery that had been broken off, and it was good for nothing but scraping some wound that you have, just like Job scraped those, those boils all over his body. And then he says, Shall the clay say to him that fashioneth, What makest thou or thy work? He hath no hands. I mean, God doesn't have any hands. How does he do all this? God did it all. He ordained the destruction of Babylon at the hands of Cyrus. Warn him that saith to his father, What begettest thou? What he's saying is you can't say to God, why did you kill all these people over here in Babylon and have, have Cyrus to come in and block that river up and just devastate and annihilate everything over there? Why did you do that? You can't ask, tell God that nobody, who art thou that replies against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? We can't ask, tell God that. And then he says, what hast thou brought forth? You can't say that about God's work of evil that he does because he's talking about the evil that he brought onto Babylon by the Persian king Cyrus. When he said, I make peace and create evil, I the Lord do all these things. 
It needs some explanation. You understand what I'm saying? Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, His Maker, ask me of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands. Command ye me. Command means to enjoin or set in order. Just say, God, what is this you're doing? And accept it now. I'm just trying to get through a lot of these verses. Babylon always sinks into the sea. Luke 8, Mark 5, Matthew 8 sinks into the sea. And it's a proud mountain in 51. God says, I'm going to make you a burnt mountain. This burnt mountain is sinking into the sea. It makes me wonder... I haven't fully complete studying the sea that it goes into. I know that the Bible says in Revelation 21 that when the heavens come down, that when that there'll be no more sea. The sea was where the fish were in the flood, and God formed a covenant. These things come to my mind all the time. God formed a covenant with man. He was in the ark with the beast of the field, the king of the beasts is a lion. He was in the ark. And with the fowl of the air, and the king of the fowl is the eagle. He was in the ark. And with the cattle of the field, that the king of the cattle of the oxen, he was in the ark. The fish were on the outside of the ark. There's no covenant with the fish. So there'd be no sea. But the sea is a picture of the world people. It's the same thing he says in Revelation 17. The sea is peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. I've still got some more study in doing it. Now, let me show you one more time. Go back over here to to Revelation, not Revelation, to Jeremiah. This is the end of Babylon. Jeremiah. 50 and 51. This is the Jeremiah. Remember, he preached in Israel for 40 years from 526 or 626 BC to 586 BC. He's walking through the he's walking through the city, preaching to everybody at the gates. The gates were like the small courthouses. That's where they sold the cattle or they sold the sheep or they sold dung for the gardens or they sold seed of different kinds. And every gate of a city would be like a courthouse. They were like this. And the wall of the city was small. And there would be all kinds of people gathering at the gate. The gate was the last thing to go down during a war. Now he says over here in Jeremiah, I'm just trying to remind you of a lot of things. I have to say it more than once because there's so much to it. I'll even get back to this. Isaiah 30 next time I preach. It's very interesting because fire destroys the Assyrians in that, in the valley of Tophet. Assyria was the basic same thing as Babylon.
Assyria is not named among the beasts, but Assyria was the same as Babylon, had the same gods. So he says here in Jeremiah, Fifty. I'm going to read it again so this can get into your crawl. This is, this is the same thing at all these other places where Babylon is being destroyed. In Isaiah 44, 45, 14 Isaiah, 13 Isaiah. These are all the same. And it's the New Testament. That's where the, where the swine run down into the sea, but it's a Babylonian attitude going on. People say, why would Jesus transgress the laws of nature? He did that with every miracle he performed. When he turned the water to the wine, that was his first miracle. When he would heal a man that was blind from birth, nobody can do that. That was to prove who he was. It even for, wasn't even for the sake of the man that he would heal. So when he would transgress, he was in a boat right before he meets this guy in Luke 8. This demoniac, supposedly, I don't believe they were demoniacs. I believe they were selfies. Like a picture selfie. <laughs> they were selfs. And when he, right before that, they were in a storm. They said, Lord, carest thou not that we perish? There's a storm up here, and you're in the boat, and nothing's quiet. There's nothing safer for you than having Jesus in a boat with you during a storm of your life. That's the best thing you can have. And Jesus just stood up and went, Shh, stop. And the storm went, what a God. So when these, the, the demoniacs supposedly, I don't believe in demoniacs, I don't believe in demons. When he said, let my ancestors stay here with me in these swine. Jesus said, okay, but you watch what happens when I let, when I let what's in you, I'm going to, I'm going to defy the laws of nature. I'm going to put in you the desire for self and pigs. They will watch what they do. They kill themselves. I've told the story when I was in music and I was down here in Englewood and I had a band and, and I knew what I was doing was wrong. I had a lot of conviction. I was trying to be famous or somebody. I was about 26. And I told the band, I said, well, I had an old dog laying there. And I hadn't studied the demons like I have now. I didn't know at 26 what I know now. And I said to the guys, I said, if Susie had in her what's in, I got in me, this frustration, I was just shaking all the time. I said, she'd kill herself. That's exactly what happened to those swine. They killed themselves. They they just went wild. And Well, if the man was running through the tombs in Mark, the fifth chapter, cutting himself and screaming, how's them swine going to feel when they get that desire for self and they can't overcome it? I can't imagine putting that into an animal. It's kind of like making a dog mad by injecting with rabies or something. He'll come out after it's like that old movie what was it? Mojo. 
Yeah, Mojo. Cujo. Cujo, yeah. Cujo, Mojo. <laughs> I got old movie Cujo that would kill you if he saw you. And he was mad. That's similar to being being crazy and insane. Now, he says, Oh, destroying mountain in verse, in chapter 50. Now, in chapter, chapter 50, he says, Call together the archers against Babylon, verse 29. For she hath been proud against the Lord. I guess she had. She said, Let me make me a name. Behold, I'm against thee, thou most proud, in verse 31. And he says in verse 39 of chapter 50, Therefore the wild beast of the desert with the wild beast of the... Batteries down? Yeah. Huh? Batteries are out. It's crazy. Batteries are out. Well, I guess I'm through then. We can hear you now. Can I talk it? Try to talk it. Somebody changed my batteries. are getting a little batteries. That's all right. Well, I'll just pray and we'll end it here. Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this message. I, I love this truth. I hope the people learn to love it. Strengthen the flock. Find our battles. We thank you for everything in Christ's name. Amen. This is brand new batteries.